Good morning. Welcome to all those joining us online. My name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And before we get started, I want to introduce our interns. Are my two interns here this morning? Yes, they are. Okay, excellent. All right, so I'd like to introduce two of our new interns. So if Justin Wheaton and is your wife, Kaylin, with you, Justin? Where are you? Yes, please stand. And also Daniel Pocarl, please stand. Is Daniel here? There he is. Excellent. Okay, so these are our new interns. You guys can be seated. Uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about our intern program. Our investment in our interns is an investment in the kingdom of God. To invest in leaders is then to invest in all of the people that they will then go to lead. And our goal for our internship program here at Grace is to give them a rich in-church experience that helps fill out some of the conceptual learning that they have at seminary. And it is a joy for us as a church and as a staff to invest in them. One of the practical ways we do that is we allow them to plan and execute an entire service. And so if you'd like to join us tonight for our 5.30 Sunday evening intern service, you can see a, you can worship with us in a service that has been planned and will be executed by these interns. All right, this morning we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. And the title of our message this morning, which is on the first commandment, is No Other God. No Other God. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, help us to see your goodness revealed to us in your law. May we delight in your law more and more. ...as your Holy Spirit enables us to live lives of obedience... ...that reflect the goodness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Bible is a love story. The Bible is a love story. It's a love story about God and his passionate and sacrificial pursuit of his chosen people... It's a love story about God pursuing a sinful and rebellious people. A story about him redeeming this very same people out of their slavery to sin. Uniting himself to them in an unbreakable covenant relationship. So that he might pour out his love upon them in abundance. And free them to respond in love and obedience to him. Enjoying him forever. The Bible is a love story about God loving us. ...and us responding to him in love. In our commandment this morning, the first commandment... ...you shall have no other gods before me... ...it goes to the core of that love story. But maybe somewhat counterintuitively, this first command... ...may not seem like it is about love, but in fact it is. It's a prohibition that says you shall have no other gods... ...but it's not primarily about who we are not to love and not to worship... This commandment is primarily about who has loved us and who has freed us to love him, namely God himself. God has freed us to love and delight in him and him alone. God's love has freed us to love and delight in him and to do so in him alone. First point this morning is this, made for loving relationship, made for loving relationship. Look with me at Exodus 20, verse 2, in your bulletin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now God spoke these words to his people, the Israelites, just after God had performed a number of significant miraculous deeds. He'd freed them from slavery in Egypt. He led them through 
the Red Sea. He then provided manna from heaven and water from a rock in order to feed and give them something to drink. He has now led them to the foot of Mount Sinai where he is appearing in thunder and lightning, speaking to Moses and giving them the very commandments that we are now learning about. And these words in verse 2, they should lead us to ask two questions. Why is God the God of the Israelites? Why is he even our God? Because it says, I am the Lord your God. What right does God have to say that he is our God and that he should be the God that we worship? And why then do we need to be freed from slavery? They've been led out of a house of slavery. Why do they need to be freed from slavery at all? To answer these questions, we have to go back to the beginning of human history. I promise this will not be a significantly long sermon, but we're going to go back for just a moment to touch on the beginning of human history because it informs what this commandment means. The reason God is our God is because God has made us. He is our creator and he's made us and he's made all things. And he's made us as human beings as the pinnacle of his creation. He's made us in his image that we might know him and love him and obey him and live in the good of our relationship with him. Written in our very being is the purpose for which we were created to know God and to love him and be loved by him. Just as Einstein was made for theoretical physics and Rembrandt was made to paint and Martin Luther King was made to lead a movement based upon his rhetoric, we are made. The very purpose of our existence is to know God's love and to respond to that love by delighting in God and obeying his good words. And to the degree that we live into this purpose, it's the degree to which we will flourish as human beings designed to love God and be loved by him. This is what Adam and Eve were created for, and it's what in the garden they were actually free to do. They could actually love God without any encumbrance and obey him freely. But sadly, Adam and Eve chose to not live in the, into the purpose for which they were created. Rather, they chose to not trust God's word as their creator, but trust the words of the serpent who persuaded them of these two lies. First, that God's words were untrue. What's the serpent say to her? I know God said to you that you'll die if you eat of this, but you won't die. God's words are untrue. They're untrustworthy. Second and even worse, the serpent persuaded them that God's design for them wasn't good. Worshiping and obeying him was not what they were designed for. In fact, God was holding out on them. What does the serpent say? You won't surely die. In fact, God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like him... He's not good. He's God and he wants to stay as God. And so don't eat of this. You should eat of this fruit because he, you can become like him. He's actually holding out on you. So Eve, convinced of these lies, took the fruit and gave it to Adam who was with her. And through this act of rebellion, all of humanity was plunged into a world of sin, slavery to sin, and ultimately death. The loving relationship that we were created for, that all of humanity was made for, has then been broken by sin. From, all of the, from that moment on, all of humanity has been living against the grain of our very beings. Against the grain of what we were made to be and to do. Made for God, we live for ourselves. Made for worship of our creator, we love and worship the created things. Made to love and be loved by God, we endlessly give ourselves to loving other things in this world in the hopes that they will love us back, and they never do. We are a people made 
for relationship. Made by God to know him and to love him and to obey him. And yet we are a people born into slavery, loving every God but the one true God that we are designed to love. Made for relationship, but unable to have that relationship because of sin. This is our plight. But God offers us a solution, which is point number two. The redeeming love of God. The redeeming love of God. So let's fast forward from Adam and Eve to Israel and the Exodus. And when we do so, we see this love story that God is writing taking shape. In Exodus, God, our creator, is at work redeeming a people for himself, a chosen and beloved people. And he's going to do so through the Old Testament's great act of redemption, Israel's exodus from Egypt. Now, at the beginning of Exodus, the people of Israel are not only enslaved to their sin, they are physically enslaved in Egypt. They cry out to God for help and God remembers his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then God begins to bring about his judgment upon Egypt through these ten plagues. And the final plague that he brings about ultimately leads to their freedom from slavery. Now this final plague, the Passover, was God's threat to take the firstborn child's life in every house that did not have a sacrificial blood offering of a lamb placed upon the doorpost of the house. So that when God came to each and every house... He would observe whether there was blood or not. And when there was blood upon that doorpost, he would pass over, hence the name, not taking the life of the firstborn. And it was this final act of judgment against the Egyptians, which ultimately took the life of Pharaoh's son, that finally broke the will of Pharaoh and allowed the people to be led out of Egypt and into freedom. And it's this great act of redemption accomplished through this sacrificial lamb that is being referred to in Exodus 2. The Lord, your God, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He brought them out through these great acts of deliverance. And this great act of redemption, it was an act of love. Whereby God freed his people from their slavery. Remember the Bible is a story, a love story. The story of God's redeeming love for his people. And we see this expressed in Deuteronomy 7, 6, which is also in your bulletin. Look with me there. This is what God says. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, God in love chose Israel to be his treasured possession. His crowning jewel of all that he has and all that he has made. His work of redemption was an act of love that purchased their freedom from slavery and made them his treasured possession. He redeemed them out of slavery and made them his own. And they were now a holy people. People set apart by God to live as God had designed them to live. A people designed to be known by God and loved by God and to freely love and obey him. They were finally free to do what they were designed to do. And this act of love was God's act of redemption that not only freed him from physical slavery, but pointed forward to Christ's ultimate act of redemption that would free all who believe from our slavery to sin. God's greatest act of redeeming love which is foreshadowed in this Passover where a sacrificial lamb is offered in the place of a firstborn son in order to redeem them and free them from the penalty of death. This, this picture, this imagery points forward to Christ our Savior who gave himself for us and for our sins. Christ our Passover lamb has paid the price of our sin, freeing us from the penalty of death. 
And he's also granted us eternal life through what he has done. Through Christ, every obstacle has been removed. Sin no longer separates us from God and we are now free to finally know and love and obey God without sin being the hindrance that stands between us and our Father who has made us. Nothing holds us back from this relationship. Now you're probably beginning to wonder, I've been going on a while now, when am I actually going to get to the commandment which is in the bulletin, which is to have no other gods before me? And I'm going to get to it right now. So this is what we're going to talk about. But I believe that we needed this context in order to rightly understand this commandment. In light of God's redeeming love, that Christ has given himself for us, that we are his holy people, his chosen possession, his treasured possession in all the earth of all the peoples on the face of the earth. In light of these things that God now commands us, you shall have no other gods before me. And here's the reason I laid all this groundwork. I laid all this groundwork because I believe that this commandment is often misunderstood. As I said at the beginning, this commandment is not primarily about what we are not supposed to do, who or what we are not supposed to worship. This commandment is about who has loved us and who we are now free to love as a result. We are freed through Christ Jesus to love God that we have been, whom we have been designed to love. You see, often we treat God's commandments... As though obedience to God is some sort of half-life, a life without joy, as as some sort of drudgery. Like we're locked in our high chair as kids and we've got broccoli on our plate and the cupcakes are just out of reach. I know the broccoli is good for me, but what I really want is what's forbidden. As though you're being held out upon by God's commandments. That he's still not good, just like the serpent said to Eve. It's not for your good that he gives these commandments. It's actually to to withhold something from you. But God has a completely different narrative. It's the exact opposite. Loving other gods isn't freedom. It's slavery. Loving other gods, that's the straitjacket. That's the thing that's holding us in. Worshiping other gods, that is the half-life. It's loving God that frees us to flourish and be what we were made to be. As Leviticus 26, 11 through 13, which is in your bulletin says, this is what God says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hear this, that you should not be their slaves. It's for the sake of freedom. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk Erect. You were finally free to be what you have been designed by God to be. Free from sin in order to love and worship him. In other words, this command is not withholding anything good from us. This commandment is all about freeing us from the yoke of slavery to sin and to the false worship of other gods that we might do what we were made to do. Worship the one true and living God who will live among us and walk among us, who has made us his people. It frees us to enjoy what we long to know and enjoy, a loving relationship of complete and utter security. Knowing God, knowing us and being known by him, secure in the knowledge that he fully knows us and yet, in spite of ourselves, fully loves us and has done everything that is needed and possible in order to bring us to himself that we might know his love 
for us. This is what we're made for. And this is actually what is being offered in this commandment. And this brings me to my final point. Clinging to our loving Father. Clinging to our loving Father. It's only when we see what we were made for. That we were made for a loving relationship. And what our plight was, that we were slaves to sin, living lives across the grain of God's design for us. And what God has done for us to redeem us out of this slavery and free us to know his redeeming love. That we will be able to truly live into the meaning of this first commandment. It's true, we have to have no other gods before him. But this prohibition is for a purpose that we might be free to put away all other gods in order to cling to our Heavenly Father who loves us and gave His Son for us in order to redeem us. This first commandment is all about forsaking all other gods so that we might rest securely in the love of God. It's only then that we will truly flourish, that we will grow, that we will be what God has designed us to be because it's only when we live into this purpose of knowing God and being known by Him that we were, are living the life he designed for us. Now, if you doubt my words, consider all of the things that you have attempted to love in this life apart from God. All the other gods that you have not forsaken. Money, possessions, power, relationships, beauty, accomplishments, talent, academic attainment, the affirmation of others, the fame of your own name, leisure, sports, travel, vacations, work, respect, pleasure, ease. And the list could go on. Consider all these gods that you have forsaken the one true God at one point or another to worship. And ask yourself, which of these has ever proven utterly faithful to you? Which of these has ever... Truly satisfied that when you finally got what you thought you wanted, that at the end of that you were actually satisfied, or did you simply want more? Which of these things has loved you back as much as you have loved it, if it has ever loved you back at all? Which of these things has brought you the fulfillment, the rest, the security and joy that you so desperately long for, and that you know in your heart of hearts you are designed for? I would venture to say, None of them. Every God we've worshipped other than the one true God has proven to be false and his promises a lie. The world makes so many promises. Promises that if we would just bow down to these other gods then we will have what we truly long for. And sadly, no matter how many times we go to this well, what do we do? We go to this well of affirmation. Let's take one and we, we lower the bucket and we draw it back up. How many times have you drawn it back up and it is dry as a bone? There's not a drop of water in it. And yet in that moment we don't see the fertility. What do we do? I, maybe I need to drill a little deeper. Maybe I just need more affirmation. That's the problem. I just need to go lower. And so we lower the bucket again and we draw it back out. And every single time, dry as a bone. Friends, the promises of the world, the promises of false gods, they're lies. Every time you drop that bucket in, every single time you will draw it back up, it will still be empty. It will be dry as a bone. It will not give you what it promises. But not so with God. 
God has made a way through Jesus Christ that we can go to the well of his love time after time after time after time. And that that bucket will never be empty. Every single time you draw it up, it will be filled with the loving waters of God that will satisfy your thirst. And it will never run dry. You can go to it again and again and again and again. God alone knows us and loves us with an unending love. In his presence, we find love and acceptance and security that can never be taken from us because it's not conditioned upon anything in us or anything in this world. It is conditioned upon the unchanging glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Never taken from us. This commandment to have no other God is an invitation to know this love. As I was meditating on this, commandment and the love of God it invites us in us it reminded me of an experience that I had recently reading over some old letters now, these were letters that I had exchanged with my papa my grandfather for those who are not from Indiana growing up and my mom had saved all these letters that I had written to my papa and so I got to see what I had written to him when I was 8 9 10 11 years old And mixed in with these letters were other artifacts of my childhood, old Valentines from school. You know, you used to exchange those by putting them in everybody's other brown bag. And programs from school, musicals, all these different artifacts from my growing up. And as I was reading over these letters, I was taken back to my childhood. And I was struck afresh by some feelings that surprised me. Feelings that I then remembered as a child. Feelings of loneliness. Never really had many friends growing up. I think my first real friend was in college of feeling misunderstood as a kid, of being the kid that was always in trouble, the kid that other parents didn't want their kids hanging out with because I was that bad influence. I felt like I was the kid that always had the dunce cap on in the corner. And I was actually quite surprised by these feelings because I'd almost forgotten them or probably wanted to forget them. And then they suddenly came rushing back as I began to read over these letters. But then I was struck by a refrain that I saw at the end of one of these letters that I had written to my papa. Uh, I would write to him at the end of every letter, I love you and you love me. And alongside all those painful feelings came this rush, this wonderful feeling, the feeling of being loved and being absolutely secure in that love. My papa was one of the few people in my early childhood that knew me. He knew me in all of my orneriness and my foolishness and my childishness. And yet he, he didn't see past those things. As though he had to ignore them in order to love me. He saw through those things as I was. And he loved me absolutely anyway. Friends, do you want to hear some good news this morning? My papa's love for me is just a sliver of God's love for you and love for us. God knows each and every one of us present. And he has made a way for us to be freed from the false gods that enslave us. That we might know a love that is like no other love. He invites us to know this love by trusting in Christ. Whether for the first time this morning or for the thousandth time. Resting in a love that knows us and sees us and will never let us go. For all who trust in Christ, these are God's words to you. God says to you, I love you and you love me. I delight in you. And you, and you delight in me. You are my chosen possession, and I am your chosen portion. 
You are mine and I am yours. Friends, when we have this kind of love, why would we ever look anywhere else? Why would we look to other gods when the love and the satisfaction that we long for is already ours in Christ Jesus? You shall have no other gods before me. This commandment isn't a burden. It's freedom to know the love that you were made for, given to us through Christ Jesus. And it's when we tasted this love that we can sing with the psalmist in Psalm 73, which is in your bulletin. Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but, but God is the strength of my heart, heart and my portion forever. It's God's love for us that brings forth a love from our hearts that reaches out to God. We cling to our Heavenly Father as He holds us fast and will never let us go. This is the love that this commandment points us to. It's the freedom to know the love of God. The Bible is a love story. It's a love story about God pursuing us, a sinful and rebellious people, and redeeming us out of our slavery, uniting himself to us in a covenant that cannot be broken so that we might free to know, to know the abundance of his love and respond to that love in worship and obedience. The first commandment is the building block upon which all of our worship and obedience is built. God is our God and we are his people. We are his and he is ours. And out of the overflow of this loving relationship flow all of our acts of devotion and obedience outlined in commandments 2 through 9. But it all starts here with this commandment and this love relationship. I'm going to close this morning by praying the words of Psalm 16. Please join me as I close this in prayer. Preserve us. O oh God, for in you we take refuge. We say to you, Lord, you are our Lord and we have no good apart from you. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. But you are our chosen portion and our cup. You hold our lot. The lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Indeed, we have a beautiful inheritance. Therefore, our hearts are glad and our whole beings rejoice. Our flesh also dwells secure. For you make known to us the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen.